And I want to thank the worship team. Uh, I'm not sure if they can hear me right now, but thank you, worship team, for um, helping us to know how to worship uh, with heavy hearts. I think we're probably coming in here with a huge range of thoughts and feelings, uh, frustrations and questions about what we have seen in the news this week. And so before we get too far into today's message, I, I feel led to share a few things that the Lord has put on my heart, my heart that I just want to share with you. Um, hopefully this will help us to process um, a little bit of what's going on um, as we've seen our country grieving. And the, the main thing that the Lord has really impressed upon me, and I hope that he can do this for you right now as well, is that we need the Spirit so badly. We need the Holy Spirit so badly. Our country, our city, our neighbors, and communities across our nation need the Holy Spirit so badly. And we have been confronted by that, that need for the Spirit, unfortunately, three times in the past few weeks. With shootings in Buffalo, Laguna Woods, and in Uvalde, Texas, where precious image bearers of God, his creations, the sacred human life has been lost to tragic violence. Violence and destruction that has been committed in anger and in rage and hatred and in racism and beautiful and valuable life has been lost. And so we as a country need conviction. We need repentance to turn away from the sin that is leading to these tragedies. We need the truth of Jesus to strike and to pierce hearts. We need the healing and the renewal and the restoration that only he can provide. We need the unity of Christ. We need the mind of Christ as we process these tragedies. We need the comfort and counsel of the Holy Spirit. And we need his intercession. When we, I know this is true for me, I don't even have the words to pray for this as I should, or to talk about this as I should. We need the Holy Spirit. We are talking about the Holy Spirit today in today's message. I'm not trying to, please believe me, I'm not trying to use this as some insincere tee up for the sermon today, but this is real. Uh, this put tears in my eyes this week. As you check Twitter, you see the videos, uh, you see children running, uh, you see people outside of a grocery store in Buffalo grieving. And I left me confused and angry, just asking, why does this have to keep happening? You know? And this has led me to a deeper conviction that we really do need the Spirit of God. Because we believe that He's the one. He's the one who can reach and touch those families and those communities that are mourning and grieving, who are shocked, just lost right now, robbed of their precious children their aunties, their uncles, their grandparents, moms and dads, their doctor in Laguna Woods, the deacon of their church in Buffalo. They need the presence of God right now because he is the one who can deeply and actually break through to those who are alone and addicted and struggling with mental disorder and contemplating murder and violence and break through to people who are lost in rage and racism. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who can sit with people in that excruciating pain and walk through them in the valleys of darkness on the worst days of their lives. He's the one who can give healing. 
and hope. And friends, I know that these words right now are so insufficient. This is not enough. I know that there are all kinds of thoughts and feelings and ideas and opinions and even policy suggestions that we are not voicing right now. I get that. I know that. And I know that real actions need to be taken and real change does need to occur. But I also absolutely believe, and I know that you do too, that the Spirit of God can intervene tangibly. He can do real things and take real action. And so that is why we need him. That is why our brothers and sisters, our friends, our neighbors across the country need him so badly, so deeply. And this is why we can go to him in prayer. And we're going to do that in just a moment. But I want to encourage us, please don't let this be the only time that we pray for this. Please keep this going. Please join us at 7 o'clock on Tuesday for our prayer meeting and lift this up to the Lord as we grieve with our country. Please keep lifting these communities to God as we're going to do right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is, uh, this is hard to talk about. This is hard to pray about. This is hard to uh, look at. And even more, Lord, for the people who are actually experiencing it, there is nothing harder that a person can go through than the loss that has been forced upon the people in these communities in New York and in Texas and Irvine. Lord, first and most importantly, we want to ask that your presence would be with them, that those brothers and sisters in Christ who do know you and who are in those communities, that they would shine brightly, that they would pour out and share the comfort, the love, the tenderness that you can extend through your Holy Spirit, the counsel. And Lord, for those who don't have you, Lord, I pray that you would use this tragedy to turn hearts towards you and invite you into their lives that you would stir and awaken in them a, a hunger and a need for the, the God of universe, their creator, their healer, their deliverer, to be with them. I pray that they would experience your love, your care, your kindness, your truth, your guidance as they sort out their thoughts and feelings and frustrations and unspeakable grief. May they experience that hand of the shepherd in Psalm 23 walking with them through the darkness. And Lord, we thank you that we have the Holy Spirit to do that for us as well. We ask for that kind of leadership, that guidance, that counsel right now, Lord, as we look to you, as we study you, and as we continue to pray for these cities, for these families in the weeks to come. We lift this up to you, Lord. And we love you so much. Thank you and praise you for how you're working, even in the saddest and darkest and most difficult times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <sighs> thank you. As hard and uncomfortable as it, that can be to talk about, um, thank you for going through that and processing that together as a church, uh, because that's really part of what we do as the people of God, as the community of Christ. And I really do believe that this is, all of this is reminding us how important it is for us to know and to understand his Holy Spirit. That's why we need to be aware of his presence and how he works and who he is and to constantly acknowledge and invite that work in our lives and the lives of those who are lost and hurting. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today and in, in the weeks to come as we 
continue to systematically work through uh, the core doctrines or beliefs of the Christian faith. If you haven't been with us for the past few weeks, uh, just to catch us up a little bit, um, so far we have looked at what we believe about the Bible, what we believe about the Trinity, the existence, and the attributes of God, uh, Jesus, the Son of God, and now today we're going to start turning our attention to the Holy Spirit. And so let's jump into that study with just a few basic essentials truths to kind of lay a foundation of who the Holy Spirit is and how he helps us. Who the Holy Spirit is and how he helps us. I think as we start, sometimes it can be helpful to define something by what it is not uh, and kind of clear out some potential misconceptions and cut away the things that are not true about him. Um, So I want to point out a few of those things, what he is not. First, the Holy Spirit is not just our conscience. He's not just like a a Jiminy Cricket character or a a little angel that sits on our shoulder and kind of whispers to us. And it gives us conviction and guidance, but is really too small and powerless to do anything about it. The Holy Spirit is not like the genie in Aladdin. And that might sound weird for me to bring attention to that, but that's an idea that's actually on YouTube and videos and Christians have, have said that recently, so I have to hit that. It's not like he's restricted uh, to our shallow, self-centered wishes and just has to do whatever we want. That is not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit is not quite like the force in Star Wars, where there's a light side and a dark side, and oh, we hope everything's balanced. Holy Spirit is all good, all pure, all holy, all the time. He's not karma. He's not a feng shui. He's not a feeling. He's not an emotional high. So then what is he? Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, he's the third person of the Trinity. And he, not it, uses masculine pronouns in Greek. That's important for us to know and to respect. That's how he's written the text. And he is just as important and just as much God as the Father and the Son are God. He is also omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent. He has always existed with the Father and the Son in loving unity, but as distinct persons with distinct and ordered roles. And so that means that the Spirit glorifies the Son who glorifies the Father and makes him known and directs credit and attention to other members of the Trinity. That's who he is. What about his role? The Holy Spirit has done so much and is still doing uh, just more than we can understand and imagine and even aware of, and we will try to scratch the surface of that over the next few weeks, but just to highlight a few core works of the Spirit. First, he was part of Jesus's conception, his birth. He was part of Jesus's baptism and his ministry and his resurrection. He, the Holy Spirit, is not only involved in our salvation, but is the agent or the enactor of our salvation because But the Bible says that he is the one who washes and regenerates us and brings us back to life. The Holy Spirit was the one who was responsible for communicating scripture, inspiring and guiding biblical authors to write down the words of God throughout history. Peter says that. Uh, He empowers and he equips believers. He convicts and he comforts and he guides us into the truth and helps us to testify to Jesus. He helps us to study and to understand the Bible. The Holy Spirit does so much. And lastly, how does the Bible tend to talk about him? How does it present or depict the Holy Spirit? How, How should we maybe conceptualize him? 
Well, he is commonly explained in terms of wind or breath in the Bible. The Greek word pneuma, sounds like pneumatic, right? You know that word. The Greek word pneuma and the Hebrew word ruach both mean breath and wind and are the words that scripture uses to help us understand the spirit. And so we ought to conceptualize him in terms of what moves and powers a sailboat, uh, what causes a pneumatic tool to drive nails, uh, what fills our lungs and gives us life, what can clean the dust out of old electronics, but also what can tear up our tent out in the backyard and probably make it squeak and rattle right now, what can knock trees over and rip off a roof and create storms. It's wind. It's very powerful. Four foundational concepts for how the Holy Spirit works and who he is. It should give us a simple uh, understanding of this person of God. But why is it so important that we study the Holy Spirit? Why do we need this? I want to propose three reasons for why we should pay attention to this Holy Spirit and understand him better. First, because uh, we need this because if you want to know God and experience him in a personal way, the Holy Spirit is the one in whom and through whom that happens. He is how we are joined and united together with God, with the Father, and with the Son. He's how we have a direct and loving and intimate relationship with the Lord. He's our connection to God because he is God in us. That's why we need to know the Holy Spirit. Second, we need this because if you're a Christian, and maybe right now you feel a little distant from God, becoming more aware of the Holy Spirit, more sensitive to what he does, how he works, can help us to know that those feelings of distance maybe are deceptive. Because the truth is, he's still right there. He's still with you. But we need to probably just soften our hearts and become more obedient, more in step with his guidance and leadership and his will, more convicted of our sin. So understanding the Holy Spirit helps us to know that he is nearer than we often feel. That's the second reason we need to know the Holy Spirit. Third, we need the study of the Holy Spirit because he is the one who enables us to carry on the work of Jesus in this era. And he is how we experience the power of Jesus' resurrection as we serve God in his mission to seek and save the lost. In other words, we need to be aware of him and attuned to him because this is his time. The Father was forefront in the Old Testament. Jesus took front stage in the first century. And since then, since Acts 2, since Pentecost, which actually on our calendars is next weekend, it has been the Holy Spirit's time. He is the main actor. And it's his season to fill and to lead and convict and drive and make the church go. But it wasn't always like that. The Holy Spirit wasn't always living in his people in a constant and continuous way. In fact, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, which is where we're going to spend our time today, was probably a little bit more like a birthday present that I got in first grade. When I was six years old, I got the toy of my dreams. Just the absolute, that's me, six years old. The absolute coolest thing to me at the time was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm dating myself right now guess how old I am. And there was this shiny metallic Ninja Turtle character that appeared in the TV shows, the cartoons, the, uh, on the shelves of toy stores. 
And that is all I wanted. It was the coolest thing to six-year-old Danny. Just look at that thing. That's, that's a gorgeous toy. It's so 80s. It's perfect. I still like it. It's what I had my eye on when we would walk through the aisles of Toys R Us. It was at the, securely uh, fixed at the top of my wish list for the longest time. But I was raised in a bit of a sheltered home. And, you know, no disrespect to my parents at all. They just, they wanted to do their best, the best they could to raise me. And they wanted the best for me. They were trying really hard to do the right thing. And so they were a little bit worried, as sheltering parents might be, that maybe Ninja Turtles and characters like G.I. Joes and fighting action figures would, would maybe be too aggressive or violent for me, that I maybe couldn't handle their influence. And so they had a rule that I couldn't own these toys, that I couldn't watch the Ninja Turtles TV show. And so when I opened this present on my sixth birthday, oh man, this is a dream come true for me. But it was a real dilemma for my parents, right? What would they do? They didn't want to be just brutal and unfair and make me get rid of it right away. But they also, and I respect this, they needed to uphold their rules. So they were very creative. I'll give them that. They gave me two options. This is good parenting, I think. They said, Danny, you can take the toy back to the toy store and exchange it for whatever you want. I mean, similar price. I can't get like a $500 Power Wheels or whatever, but you know, 15 bucks. Or you can play with it for a month and then throw it away. <laughs> that was a tough call for a kid, man. What would you, I'm curious, what would you do? So, you know, for me, there was nothing higher on my wish list. I wasn't about to exchange it for anything. That's all I wanted, you know? So I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So I kept this thing for, for a month. I treasured it. I loved it. I played with it. I was like in awe of it. This thing's so cool, man. I was amazed by it. It was so fun. And then after 30 days, ugh, it was gone. Yeah. Appreciate the empathy. <laughs> the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament might have been a little bit like that. Just the absolute best. All you could want. A dream come true. Oh, this is God with us. So amazing, so desirable, yet he could come and go. He could be with someone temporarily and then pull back. But that was how he operated in that era. And we should seek to understand that. We should try to understand those moments and those stories to see uh, how he would fill someone or rush into somebody temporarily, momentarily. Because I think that's going to inform us about what he can do today. I think it's going to help us to beg for a way to make his presence permanent. And I believe it's going to deepen our appreciation of the constancy that we have with him right now and often take for granted. So to do that, to get to know him better, let's walk through the Old Testament storyline of the Spirit to learn what he did and who he is and how he can help us today. And we'll start at the very beginning uh, in Genesis where we'll see that the Holy Spirit was at work even in pre-creation. It's a very cool picture over the chaotic darkness. But as a quick preface, it's really important to me to point out that when we read our Bible, especially the Old Testament, it, well, the whole Bible, it's our job to pursue what the original author meant, what the original audience understood. 
And so when we read this text that was written by Moses 3,500 years ago to a very different culture, to the Hebrew people wandering through the wilderness, we need to understand that the idea to them of a distinct father and spirit and son was not yet in its final form. They understood God as being one. Deuteronomy 6.6, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one, right? That was their picture. And that's okay. The idea of the Trinity would, would progressively develop throughout Scripture and throughout history and be clarified in early church councils 1,800 years after the time of Moses. And we today shouldn't take that for granted. We just need to keep that in mind for the sake of practicing good, disciplined Bible reading. And so I really want to point that out for that reason. But we can also be really grateful that we have the New Testament as the answer key that allows us to look back to the Old Testament and see really clearly, oh, that's totally the Holy Spirit, right? And much clearer to us now because of the, Old, the New Testament. Okay, so with that said, let's go to Genesis chapter 1. You're welcome to turn in your Bibles, your apps, or it'll be on the screen as well. Uh, Genesis 1, 1 through 4. Let's read that together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. This pre-creation state of the earth is formless. It's an unshaped chaos. It's dark emptiness, and it's something that needs order. That is what the deep waters are depicting there. It's scary. It's an inhospitable, negative, non-life-giving space that needs to be prepared. Something needs to happen to it. It's it's really a terrifying abyss. It's the antithesis of goodness. It's the opposite of light. And the spirit, or the ruach, of God shows superiority and sovereignty over it as God prepares to take this amorphous, chaotic darkness and through his word and through his power create light and turn it into something that's productive and ordered and a good world. Now, like we mentioned, ruach can mean wind or breath or spirit but the context controls the definition. So it can't mean all three. It can't just mean whichever of those we want. It, in this case, because it's attached to Elohim, which you know as God, that's the name of God, and because it hovers, it has this action of hovering, breath and wind don't make sense. It is the spirit. It's the presence of God, the person of God here. And this spirit of God is hovering like an eagle. That's how that verb is used just a little bit later in Scripture, Deuteronomy, with care and with oversight over like a nest or an egg that's about to hatch. That's the picture of creation. It's about to bring forth life. And the Holy Spirit is the one who is preparing that, residing over that dark and terrifying abyss in creative control, illuminating and preparing it for growth and for fruitfulness. And it makes me wonder, do you ever have a day that feels like day one of creation? Just a mess. A dark, confusing, shapeless chaos. No structure or direction. Depressing. Just sitting at your desk like, 
I don't even know what to do right now. How do I handle this? I feel so confused and lost when news of another shooting hits. Clocking out after just an exhausting, horrific day in the hospital. Thoughts spiraling and mind spinning as papers stack up on your desk at the end of a draining week in the classroom as a teacher. What do I do? Depleted and empty after a grueling counseling session thinking, how do I even help this person move forward? How do I start to make sense of this case and sort it out and bring order? Friends, invite the Holy Spirit to hover over those moments. Invite the Holy Spirit to bring structure and direction and to shape that craziness that you're going through. Invite him to, give, to bring something life-giving and productive out of what feels very dead or chaotic. Let him bring creativity into your chaos and light into your darkness. This is one way that the Holy Spirit has acted in the Old Testament. This is one way that the Holy Spirit can help you today. Not only can he take control of the chaos, but he can also help us when we feel inadequate for a job that he's given us to do. The Exodus narrative shows us just that, where the Holy Spirit would equip people for God's purposes. The Holy Spirit would equip for his purposes. Look at Exodus 31, where the Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, and cutting stones for setting, and carving wood, to work for every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiav, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. The Holy Spirit was given to these craftsmen and these creators to enable them to build the tabernacle, a physical structure where God would reside with his people in the Old Testament, a very special building, a tent that's very ornate and full of heavenly imagery and architecture and layout that was going to be the center of Israel's spiritual life in the wilderness. It's an incredibly intimidating project, something that you would really want to honor and approach with reverence and care, and, and I probably wouldn't have naturally have the, you know, the attention to detail and the precision that's needed for a job like this. These guys probably didn't either, but God gave these builders his Holy Spirit for just this purpose. One other thing I wanna point out that's really cool about this story is what God is doing in contrast to the Egyptians and Pharaoh, just a few chapters earlier, right? What did Pharaoh do when the Egyptians are, or sorry, when the Hebrews are making bricks? He took their resources away, and he, he cracked the whip on their backs and said, go harder. You still need to meet your quota. Good luck or die. God is doing exactly the opposite. He is pulling them out of slavery. He is giving them life and newness. He calls them to a holy task, and he fills them and resources his servants with everything that they need for this beautiful heavenly work that he's called them to. That's incredible. It's a that's a big flex on Pharaoh by God. I love that. It's so cool. And I don't want to miss that. In Exodus, the Holy Spirit is equipping his people for his purposes. Can you think of a time when God gave you the tools that you needed for the job he called you to? I think we saw a really cool picture of this just last weekend when he had a marriage conference here. 
And part of the conference was a panel of couples from our church. And I know there were, there were people on that panel who were very experienced, seasoned, wise, very well equipped. But I also know that some of them did not necessarily enjoy public speaking and being up front and exposed like that. A lot of us feel that way. And so I'm sure there were sweaty palms and nerves and butterflies and maybe some second guessing and I don't know if I want to do this. But we could absolutely tell that the Holy Spirit was with them and equipping them for that moment, working and speaking in and through these couples because of the helpful spiritual wisdom that came out and was shared. Because of how much we know that their wisdom, their ideas blessed the other couples in the church and because of how fruitful that has already proven to be. Not only that, but to see people who would normally be a little un uncomfortable and, and not want to be up front and speak with such peace and clarity and gravity is a real testament to the Holy Spirit equipping his people for that moment, that task. It was very cool. God is always doing this in his church. We're going to talk about this a whole lot more in the weeks to come, but I hope that this gives us at least a, a small encouraging preview of how God can do this today. He's in control over the chaos. He equips his people for his purposes. And third, the Holy Spirit distributed himself to distribute the workload. We're going to see that in Numbers 11, the book of Numbers, where Moses is feeling overwhelmed and exhausted. We're not going to read this text together. I'll just describe it. But if you want to tab Numbers 11 for your own study later, please do feel free. And Moses is about to absolutely break under the ingratitude and the complaining of the Hebrews who've been traveling through the wilderness. And Moses cries out to the Lord, this is too much for me. I can't take this, Lord. Just Seriously, just kill me. That's what the text says. I want to die. The burden is too heavy, and I can't carry this alone. And so God sees that. He gets it. He hears it. And he takes the spirit that is on Moses, and he gives it to 70 other elders or community leaders to help get that work done, to distribute the load. And Moses says, oh, this is the absolute best. Thank you. I wish everybody could do and could experience this. God saw his servant struggling straining, overwhelmed, burned out, ready to die because the job was so difficult. And God distributed himself to distribute that workload. It's beautiful. I personally and my wife are so incredibly encouraged by the life group that, my, that Suzanne and I get to be in because we are experiencing and benefiting from this type of distributed responsibility. I see some of my life group people grinning at me right now. Uh, I and I love hearing how this happens in other ministries, other leadership teams, and kids' crew, and seeing tech team grow and share this workload. Because that lets us know that, that God sees us, that he's providing himself to distribute the, the workload, the burden. So a few months ago, our life group made a transition from having you know, one couple as the primary leaders to, to sharing the responsibility with everybody. And so now we, we pass this discussion guide Bible around from couple to couple, week to week. And these couples have been doing an incredible job leading Bible study every week. And it's really alleviated a burden. Uh, not only that, but uh, we, have a, we have a prayer lady. We have a food guy. We have a fun events person. Uh, and we, we have a scheduler, communicator type person. This is so helpful. And like Moses, uh, I feel so, so grateful for this and say, man, I wish everybody could experience this. This is how the church is supposed to work. And we absolutely credit the Holy Spirit for orchestrating that distribution, that sharing. Uh, but also, praise the Lord for the spirit-filled individuals who have uh, joyfully and obediently, eagerly said, yeah, I'll take that on. I want to help. 
And that's amazing to me. So like Moses, I want that for all of us. God wants that for all of us. Because it allows us to experience the help of the Holy Spirit distributing himself to distribute the load. Fourth, the Holy Spirit strengthened judges for battle. If we were to turn ahead a few chapters after Numbers to the book of Judges, you would see a crazy and disastrous time in Israel's history. But also a time where the Holy Spirit was absolutely still present and working through broken people, broken leaders, and a broken nation. And two examples of this are Gideon and Samson. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, that's what the Bible says, uh, to give him strength to destroy idols and to win battles. And then the Holy Spirit rushed upon Samson for super strength, I love this, to defeat the Philistines. And there's this crazy story where Samson is getting rushed or attacked by a lion and he rips it apart with his bare hands. That's crazy, but that is the actual tangible power of God making that happen. I wasn't sure if I should share this because it's a little gross, but as I'm just scrolling through videos on social media this week, I saw some, can I say idiot in here? We'll use a biblical, it was fool, a fool at this kind of low-end zoo, uh, poking his finger in, in, a, in a lion's cage, thinking, I, I'm, I got this animal under control. Dude, the lion bit his finger off and just, just skinned him. It's crazy. To think about that in contrast with Samson, who by the power of God just, that's wild. That's God's strength at work in a person. If that doesn't make you want to go out to the parking lot and like pick up a car right now, I don't, don't know what to tell you. I don't believe, oh, I should probably clarify, I don't believe that ripping lions apart is like a normative, everyday, you know, expression of the Holy Spirit that you should go out and try, okay? Uh, but, but if it glorifies God and if God sees fit to miraculously strengthen you, for victory, for protection, for a demonstration of his power and his might, or in your moments of weakness, we can believe that he's going to do that. I want to say this really respectfully, uh, but when we age, we can tend to weaken a bit. Bodies break down, joints wear out, uh, things hurt, and we get tired. And it would make sense when we get to that stage if we want to kind of think of ourselves as finished and just take a seat over on the sideline, out of ministry, out of serving, off mission. But last fall, I was so encouraged, and I still am so fired up to see Alan, my brother, my roommate on this mission trip, at age 79 or 109. He's pretty old. I don't know. Sorry, I love y'all. To rely on God's power to get him through his first mission trip. And he did an incredible job. It was just an absolutely beautiful example to all of us. It was a hot, physical, tiring trip, and the whole team needed God's supernatural strength. And Alan was the example. Alan was the inspiration, trusting the Holy Spirit in this way to strengthen him for that moment. The Spirit strengthened his judges for battle, Alan for his mission, and this is another way that the Holy Spirit can help us today as well. And fifth, the Holy Spirit spoke courage into his prophets to convict his people. 
The book of Ezekiel tells us that God's spirit entered into Ezekiel. This is in Ezekiel chapter 2, if you want to look this up later. We're just moving quickly today. And he told Ezekiel, you're going to have a difficult job. You're going to have to deliver messages from me, but you're going to get insults and dirty looks and rejection in return. And so Ezekiel 2 says, this is going to be as painful, as uncomfortable and unpleasant as sitting on scorpions, as running into to thorn bushes, briars. That's the imagery he uses. But God encouraged him by saying, I am the one sending you. These are my words, and so don't be afraid. The prophet Micah understood this assignment as well. Check out Micah 3.8, where he says this. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. These prophets knew what to say. They had the courage to speak the most difficult and convicting messages to sinful and stubborn people only because they knew that the presence of God was with them. Because the Holy Spirit made them brave enough to say really hard things and to cut to the hearts of God's people and to turn them from their sin and to warn them about God's judgment. That's an incredibly unpopular thing to do, isn't it? When God wants to use you to bring to light something that's ungodly in somebody else's life. To ask a question that might open a closet door with a skeleton behind it. To confront or convict a behavior, a habit that's unholy, that doesn't represent Jesus or that dishonors God, it's a really hard thing to do. You worry about losing that relationship. You worry about hurting feelings. You're worried about not being liked, labeled, dismissed, judged, written off, rejected. But when God puts something like that on our hearts or in our gut, you know it, don't you? And we have to say it. Because we have to trust that if God is going to use this to provoke his people to righteousness, to repentance, into alignment with his will, that he is with us and he will give us the courage to convict his people. So far we've seen in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit helps us by being in creative control of the chaos, that he equips his people for his purposes, that he distributes the workload, that he can provide supernatural strength, and that he can give courage to convict. But we probably also noticed, as we talked about earlier with the Ninja Turtle and everything, that the Holy Spirit was just with people momentarily that he could rush upon somebody like Samson for a situation. And although we didn't mention this one, you see in, in 1 Samuel that he left someone like King Saul. The spirit was out. Even though the spirit is eternal, and even though he's omnipresent, his presence with people in the Old Testament was temporary and selective, given to some people and not to others, at some times and not other times. And that's both an incredible privilege but it also points out a really great need, doesn't it? I mean, what greater honor and blessing and exhilaration than to feel and know the Lord of heaven's armies, the creator of the universe, the deliverer of Israel, working in and through you and speaking out of your mouth. But also, what would it feel like when that went away? What would it feel like if we never got to experience and enjoy that at all? That's a problem, that's a need. We know that we were made for a relationship with God. 
We know that that is his will for us. And so that means we need his spirit all the time. We need the Holy Spirit, not just for some people sometimes, but we need a way for the presence of God to be poured out on all his people permanently. And that's what our final passage in Joel is going to talk about. Joel 2.28 says this. Let's look on the screen and read this together. Joel 2.28 says, and 29 says, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Now, it's important to know that this promise is preceded by a disciplinary prophecy, a call to repentance. It was a message given to sinful people who had violated their covenant with their king. They had rejected their God, and God in his righteousness and justice and holiness had to deal with that sin, and he has. But now, God in his grace and his mercy and his tenderness and his love says, come back. I want to invite you back with the promise of restoration, the provision of my presence. This is that picture of intimate relationship with God that we all need. These are the experiences in Joel 2. These are the experiences that only the leaders, the prophets, the heroes of the Old Testament got to enjoy, but now is promised for all of God's covenant people. This is the answer to that solution to the temporary situational provision of the Spirit of God. And it's promising that one day he would be poured out on all kinds of people all the time. All ages, men and women, all social classes. None of that is going to be an obstacle, a barrier. And everybody can now be with God. And what would that look like? Well, people can directly, intimately, personally sense and know and experience the Lord. People don't have to go to a pastor or a priest to encounter God for them, but can individually, without hindrance, savor and see the Spirit of God. We can hear what he wants us to hear. We can see what he wants us to see. We can receive the messages that he wants to give us. And we have the privilege of communicating his truth communally corporately sharing with one another what God wants to say to his people in fellowship for the strengthening and the building up of his church so that we might know his love and his truth and his power and his grace and his goodness, not just for our own sake, but so that we, along with the whole church family, might be equipped for mission to make him known from our neighbors to the nations that they too might know the God of the universe in this personal way. And how he has dealt with their sin at the cross in Jesus Christ. And that they might know the life that he gives through the death of Jesus. Through his victory at the empty tomb. And the restoration that he offers through the pouring out of his spirit to dwell with his people. Amen? Amen. Not only that, but because God has promised to pour out his presence. We can experience everything that we have seen to be true of the Holy Spirit today. Because of his promised presence, in our times of chaotic darkness, I want to encourage you to be confident that the Holy Spirit hovers over that. He is there. He is in control, ready to bring life out of what feels dead, light into what is very dark, to fill our emptiness, to clarify and give direction and structure to our confusion. Friends, invite him into that space and see what he can do. Because of God's promised presence and our feelings of inadequacy, I'm not sure if I could do this job. Trust that you have the Holy Spirit who equips. 
Know that he has commissioned us, whether in our families or our workplace, our church, our school, our neighborhood, or another country, to minister and to serve and to share the gospel, to testify to his goodness and to proclaim his power. And he will resource you and he will give you the confidence and the peace to carry out his purpose. Because of God's personal presence poured out on us when we feel overwhelmed, ready to quit, discouraged, burned out, like Moses, believe that the spirit who saw him being crushed by a burden he couldn't bear, helped him by distributing that load. Holy Spirit can do that for you too. Because of his presence poured out to us in our moments of weakness, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual, when we're feeling fragile, when we're struggling to finish, when we're feeling outmatched or outsmarted, when we face temptation that we're not sure we have the strength to fight. Look to the Holy Spirit who can give that supernatural strength. Because of his promised presence, when we are insulted, rejected, for speaking God's truth and for living out his will, when you're hated for saying hard things, when you're kicked out for calling out sin, know that those threats are probably gonna keep coming. But the Holy Spirit is with you and is gonna give you the courage that you need to speak conviction into his people. And finally, Christian, because of his promised presence, if you are feeling lonely right now, maybe separated from God, please see that the Spirit has been given to you and to your brothers and sisters in Christ around you. Let him speak to you. Let him show you that he is with you and in you, inviting you to look for him and listen for his presence in the church so that you can be sure he is here, that you are not alone, that you are not empty, that you are not separated from him, but that his spirit dwells and resides in each of us individually and is living and moving in the midst of his people. In the darkness, the loneliness, the inadequacy, when we're overwhelmed and when we're weak, when we're having a hard time with rejection, God gets it. He knows we need him and he has sent his Holy Spirit to help. Well, about 10 years ago, my brother sent me something for my birthday. Little, oh, you already know what it is. Little cardboard box with this in it. Can you see that? This is my Ninja Turtle. And I don't have to throw this away. I don't have to take this back and exchange it. This is mine to keep. It was once temporary and now it's permanent. And how, do I, how did I receive this? I didn't buy it. I didn't earn it. I didn't even deserve it. But my brother gave it to me as a gift. Just a thoughtful, loving, generous gift. I don't even know how he knew about this. He was in diapers when I was six years old. <laughs> Must have been the spirit. But this was a gift. And the same is true for the Holy Spirit, who was offered to us and given to us by no effort of our own, by nothing we have done or can do, no earning on our part, but only by the grace of God. Purchased for us by the price that Jesus paid for our sins. To forgive the sin of unholy people so that his Holy Spirit might enter in. 
might close the distance that we have created with our disobedience. That the Holy Spirit might restore the relationship we've broken by our rejection of God. That the Holy Spirit might wash us and renew us and sanctify us, bring us back to life with him forever and make us into his home. And if you'd like to receive that gift, I wanna invite you to bow your head and pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, for anyone in this room right now, anybody watching from home who has not yet received this incredible gift of grace that you purchased for us in the finished, good, perfect work of Jesus Christ at the cross, Lord, I pray that they would sense your pull, your tug, your invitation, your stirring, your moving, your love. Lord, open hearts to accept who you are and what you have done, the good news of Jesus, so that we might know your presence and be in loving relationship with you forever. Lord, move hearts right now to accept that good gift. And Lord, for those who have accepted the gift and have been enjoying, savoring the sweet presence of the Holy Spirit, may we be constantly grateful, more aware, increasingly sensitive to what you can do in our moments of weakness and inadequacy, our fear, our darkness, our chaos. May we know that you are with us, giving us all we need. Lord, you are so good to us. Thank you for this gift. We love you and thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.